welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hi friends, Ariel here. Today we're talking with innovation expert and questionologist Warren Berger. He's the New York Times bestselling author of A More Beautiful Question and The Book of Beautiful Questions. And fun fact, I was Warren's editor on his third book on questioning called Beautiful Questions in the Classroom, which was published by Corwin in 2020. You're gonna hear Warren talk about his publishing journey and how he maintains a hungry author mindset and how it's helped him publish multiple successful books. Thanks, Warren, for being here. We're super excited to chat with you today. Great. Good to be here. Warren, you know, you and I have worked together in the past a little bit on your book, More Beautiful Questions in the Classroom, which was one of the most fun projects that I did as an acquisitions editor at Corwin. We got to travel together to Kentucky, right. mm-hmm. <laughs> which was pretty cool. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. So, but let's back up way before that. And can you just tell us about your background? How did you get started writing? Did you always know that you wanted to write and publish books? Yeah, I think I always knew I wanted to write, you know, from a pretty early age. I had an older sister who was a uh, journalist. And um, so while I was in, you know, grade school or junior high school or whatever, she was already graduating from journalism school and going out into the world of journalism and working at Newsweek magazine. And um, and that just put in my head the idea that, you know, journalism was an interesting possibility. And then at the same time, I got into creative writing, which I kind of didn't think of that. I thought of it as a separate thing from journalism. But, you know, I used to write, I think particularly it picked up as I was in college, I, I started to write a lot of essays and short stories, uh, stories about my life, jobs that I had, I would write up stories about it, I would fictionalize it. Um, So I was doing that and I was getting, I wasn't really getting too much published. I would say I got a story here and there in like a college magazine or a local city magazine. And so I was getting a few stories published, uh, not a whole lot. And Mm -hmm. that kind of took me through my college career. And I think I still had a little bit of an idea that I might be a creative writer when I came out of uh, college, like a, like a novelist or something. But that kind of faded pretty quickly. I needed to get a job. And that led into going to work as a journalist. And that's what I did for a long, long time. And still, I'm still doing it, arguably. Yeah, definitely. You write now about innovation. And it's interesting to hear that you kind of started off more interested in that creative writing and stuff. I don't, I think, you know, writing about innovation is probably equally as creative, but how did you get interested in innovation, particularly as kind of this topic you've become known for? Well, the way it happened was very um, practical. I, as I got into writing for a living, I started to think in terms of um, developing specialties because it felt like that was the best way to market myself and make a living. 
So whenever I would start to write about something, if I, if I came upon a subject that I found to be interesting, I would stay with it and write about it, you know, repeatedly. And, um, and then I would sort of claim expertise in it. it. I think this may have come out of my, my very beginnings in journalism. Or one of the early jobs I had was at a trade magazine and it was, uh, covering the uh, consumer electronics business. And I think that kind of put the idea in my head that if you have a trade, so to speak, as a writer, if there's a thing that you, a beat or a specialty or a subject that you can claim is yours or you know, you're an expert in, then it opens up uh, job possibilities and work possibilities because everybody's looking for someone who has expertise in something. And uh, so, yeah, that kind of became a pattern for me. I, and I went through different areas and, and would sort of develop expertise in, in a certain subject, stay with it for a while, and then move on to another subject. But, um, you know, for like, for instance, after that trade magazine job in electronics, I wrote about electronics for years. And, you know, it was just a thing that I knew a little bit about, so I would write about it. And then a friend of mine got a job in an advertising uh, on an advertising magazine, um, and so I started writing about advertising, and then I I got really into that, and I got, I started calling myself an advertising writer. Like if someone needed an article in the New York Times or whatever about the hottest ad agency, you know I would that was my beat, that was my thing. So I would go and pitch those kinds of stories, and I'd get them. So. Um, and then eventually innovation came out of really, as I was writing about business, I would notice that, you know, certain people, whether they were in the ad business or any other business, seemed to be much more inventive than other people. And they were the ones who came up with the best ideas. They were the ones who seemed to change the industry around them. And I became very interested in those kinds of people and how they think and what is their process so that then 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 it was like a two-step thing the first thing i got into was how i got into this thing called design thinking which is really to put it in the simplest terms it's about how designers think so uh designers are very uh creative and innovative and they're great problem solvers so I noticed that a lot of the people I was interviewing were using the, a certain way of thinking and problem solving. And I started to get really into that. And then out of that came questioning because questioning was one of the things that design thinkers do. And they're really, really good at formulating and tackling great questions. So that became a, a, a specialty. And what's interesting now that's kind of taken over. I mean, I'm not jumping around anymore. I'm not, that is such a good subject that I've been with it now for 10 years and there's no sign that I'm going <laughs> to move on to another subject because there's always more, you know, I've done three books on it and it, it just seems to be an endless um, possibility for going in different directions, uh, different ways people can use questioning and how it applies and that kind of thing. That's so cool. I wonder, Warren, since, you know, you already had a lot of journalism experience under your belt when this questioning idea came to you, I imagine as a 
like full-time professional writer, the idea of a book had probably bounced around in your head before to some degree. Like what was it about that idea that not only like first resonated with you and then obviously resonated enough with um, an agent and then an acquiring editor. And then before we started recording here, you were just talking about how like that book is 10 years old now and it's still selling, which is, you know, kind of a publishing dream that yeah, it is. you know it really it's, the only time, it's the only time it's happened to me i mean right. and i've written i've written a number of books and that's the this book is a is a phenomenon and i i still don't really fully understand it although it you know what what there's an interesting backstory to that um i had written a book before that that was about design thinking and i wrote a really great proposal i wrote a killer book proposal mm-hmm. and uh, my agent loved it. He took it to the publishing houses and all of a sudden I was in the middle of an auction and it was really cool. I mean, I, I've never had it happen before or since, but I remember a day when Simon and Schuster would call, then Random House would call, then, and, and we were just taking offers and it was like an auction and we'd just say, no, that's not good enough. And then wait for the next one. <laughs> it was, wow. it was bizarre and it was great. <laughs> So it ended up that we made a deal with um, Penguin, Penguin Press, and uh, for a really nice, you know, advance, and it was great. And then the book, for whatever reason, you know, the mysteries of of book publishing, the book didn't do well. The book came Mm -hmm. out and it just kind of, you know, it just kind of was flat. The sales were flat, like right from the get-go. And um, I think I couldn't quite get the concept across. We were trying to get this concept of design thinking across as like a mainstream idea. Anybody can do it. Anybody can think like a designer. Mm -hmm. Somehow it didn't quite come across and people, only designers thought the book was for them. You know, they thought it was a a book for people who were already in design. And that was not the idea because that's a small audience or relatively small. So, um, so anyway, the book didn't do well, but nevertheless, you know, as an author, you have to go around and, and promote your book, even if it's not, even if it's not selling very well. And I was going around and doing a lot of talks and I would talk about each part of the, the book, the design thinking process, and there are different elements to it, but there was one part that everybody responded to. And that was the part about questioning and asking questions. So it was only, it would only be one part of my speech because it was only one little part of the book, Mm -hmm. but yet I could tell the audience, like latched on to the questioning part and people would say yeah i've always been a questioner i i really believe in questioning and my, my kid is an amazing questioner and people just were naturally interested in this idea of the power of of asking questions so you know that kind of got me thinking and then i looked around and did my research and said you know how many books are there about questioning and very very few um what has anyone gone really deeply into it and as far as i could tell nobody really had so i kind of felt like i was onto something and i had a the only obstacle at that point was that because my last book didn't sell well it's hard to sell your next book like when you go out to the publishing house the first thing they do is they look at the sales track on your last book and if it hasn't done well, they're kind of like, oh, you know, maybe we, <laughs> maybe we don't want to deal with this guy. So, but fortunately, my agent was good. You know, he he pushed through. Um, he, you know, he convinced the publisher, hey, you know, this is forget that book. This book is has got a lot more potential. 
And, um, and then we did get, you know, we did get a deal, but I kind of knew from reactions to people when I would talk about it and just, you know, initially put it out there that the interest was definitely there. It had, it had like an audience ready for the book. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. And that's a lot of the advice that we give to people too, when people are trying to find their big idea for their, you know, whatever number book first to even on down the line is it's really hard to come up with a good idea if you're not testing it out in some way, you know, in front of audiences and getting yep. some sort of actual feedback. You just, yeah. there's really no way to know. Yeah. yeah. At the very least, you know, uh, in conversation with people, you know, um, right. when you go to a, when you're out with a group of people, you know, test it on the group of people and, you know, see if people, see how people react to it because, um, it's good practice for you as a writer also to to see what parts of the idea are clear and what parts are not clear. And so the, a good way to do that is to talk about it with people and you'll see right away whether they get it or don't get it. And if they don't get it, that means you have to work on your your pitch. You know, you have to work on the way you describe that that idea, the way you and, it, you know, it may affect even the way you write the book. So um, so yeah, that's I, I think that's something you 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 got to do. Although it's interesting, there's a there's a fine line between talking about your book and talking about it too much, because <laughs> I know a lot of people who talk too much about their book, their upcoming book that they haven't done, and right. you can almost convince yourself that you're doing the book by talking about it. You know, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Like I definitely know writers like that. They talk much more than they write. And it, it, it ends up like um, the, I think they're, they almost think they're doing the book, but they're not, you know. So anyway, that's uh, you, you do want to talk about it, but you, you also want to hold some back and 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 actually focus on getting it down in writing. Or you talk to the wrong person who is not at all in the ideal audience for the book and they give right. you some feedback that God yeah. forbid you really take to heart. I know. You might actually have a good idea there. You just talk feedback to is Yeah, feedback is a funny thing because you can get bad feedback. Right. And so the only thing I would say is then um, trust your gut instinct on that. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone tells you something and it it flies in the face of what you really feel, you know, don't just accept it, but, you know, listen to it and consider it. You know, one of the things I talk about with questioning, one of the great things you do with questioning is you always want to open yourself up to other points of view. And that's, and you do that through questioning. And, and you know, there's the classic um, question of what would so-and-so think about this? Or, you know, what would uh, Jay-Z do in this situation? Or what would Barack Obama think what would Abraham Lincoln think in this situation? So um, one of the things you you try you can do through questioning is you know open yourself up to lots of different points of view, and you could you also should ask people for their input, but at the same time just remember that nobody really has all the answers, and so you know when you get input from someone that's just one thing to consider that and that should help to shape your view, but it should not. Uh, determine your view. Yeah. Warren, something I love about your story that we also talk about is just that it can take many books before you get like your breakout book per oh, se, absolutely. you know, it probably will <laughs> because yeah. um, unless you're very lucky or just, you know, happen to 
have this innate genius, you know, where you, you just hit a home run the first time you're at bat. I mean, it does happen to people, but, you know, usually you need to get a sense of your own voice. You need to clarify it. You need to figure, you may need a couple of tries to figure out what works and what doesn't work in a book. Also, this is really important, um, probably more important for nonfiction than fiction. But when you put a nonfiction book out there, you have to market it yourself. And that is something that yeah. I learned through experience. Uh, you know, my first couple of books, I didn't really know how to market the book that well. But then through experience, I learned, oh, okay, this is how you can get some publicity on this. And this, this is a good way to position the book. This is, the, this is what you need on your website. This is, so it's all stuff I learned through experience. And so it was, all, you know, that's why it was a couple of books in before I really got it right. And, and everything kind of came together. Yeah. And it, it strikes me that that process is kind of, you know, naturally going through the design thinking process and yeah. applying it to your career as an author, Absolutely, <laughs> about, yeah. you know, engineering where you want to go as an author. Right. And so how I'm curious how you apply the design thinking process to your books and, and to your career overall. Oh, I just, it's, it's part of my way of thinking now. So I apply yeah. it to almost everything. And so designers will, will start out with a lot of questioning, you know, really basic stuff. Like, why am I writing about this subject? You know, or why should anyone care? And, and forcing yourself to really answer those fundamental questions is really important because a lot of times we skate right past those questions. We just, you know, we know, we don't ever ask sometimes the most fundamental questions because I think it's because we we think they're too basic and so we we want to move on to the more advanced questions so we won't ask those really basic questions like why am i doing what i'm doing and um but yet you have to do that and you have to do it like on a regular basis because that's what it will give you the the clarity and and the the, the sense of direction and purpose and so I, I do that a lot in my in my life and my work. I, I ask those kinds of questions and then I and then I move forward to uh, more practical questions that have to do with planning. You know, OK, what what what's the first step I need to take? What, and then what will I do after that? And, and how will I how will I react if A happens and how will I react if B happens? And so I'm thinking about lots of that kind of stuff in advance of my work. And I did that in the publishing process. I, although, as I say, it took me a couple of, it took me a couple of um, outings before I really kind of figured it out. You know, one of the things I, I learned was that you really are, as an author, you really are um, on your own in a way, because once the book goes out there, your publisher will do a certain amount, but the, a lot of it is up to you. A lot of it is just how much are you going to sell your book how much are you going to talk about your book are you willing to write about your book even though you might not get paid for it like are you willing to do blog posts are you willing to do podcasts are you willing to do all kinds of stuff like that and that is so key for an author um, these days to succeed and it's a real um i think it's a real revelation yeah. for authors you know to to understand that so much of it is in their hands um you tend to think 
at least I did when I was younger that, oh, wow, I got a contract with a big publishing house. They're going to take <laughs> care of everything because, <laughs> you know, it's their job and it's their their book and they're publishing under their name. They'll do everything. I won't have to worry. I'll just go along for the ride. And it's not that way at all. So what you're telling us is you have to be a hungry author, not just to get a book deal, yeah. but even after the book publishes, you can't right. stop being <laughs> Absolutely. that hungry. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The work, the work just keeps going. I mean, you really have to... Um, but you know it's enjoyable, and I mean there's a good there, there's a good and bad side to that, and I think it has become more and more true what I'm saying about the author being in charge of the book's fate. Um, that's become more and more true in the current age of social media, and uh, so there's a real mixed blessing there in that you you now have the tools and the access to do self-marketing in a way you never could have done 20 years ago. Like, there's just no way you could market yourself the way you can now. And so that's the good part, the, the possibilities and the tools. The bad part is the responsibility that comes with it. So now you have to do it, you know? And it's almost like the, the publishers have all factored that in too, and they, they're expecting you to do that. And, and so it's, it's just, um, you know, it's now it's part of the job. It's part of the uh, of, of the writing of books. Ariel and I talk a lot about with authors, especially first time authors, this idea, like you said, that the fate of the book, often the fate and trajectory of your career is mm. far more in the hands of the author than people imagine it is that you have a lot more control and power than you think you have. And we usually see that in a good way in that publishing is often clouded in mystery. There's some elitism, there's some gatekeeping, there's some, how do I do this? And all of that still exists. But in general, if you are a hungry author and you are willing to do that kind of crusading, like you said, for your work and on the front end of this process, asking enough of the right questions to get to the right idea, um, then it is in your hands in a good way that this is so much more possible than I think a lot of people think it is. And, you know, it's, I find it enjoyable. So I, I don't know, you know, and that's a personal thing. Some people, mm -hmm. now I do run across authors and I, I, I feel sorry for them, uh, really, because they're, they're, not, they're not right for this world. But I do come across authors who have this very sharp line they've they've set up between being a writer and an artist and and doing self-promotion. And they just feel like this is the worst thing in the world to do self-promotion. And as an artist, I should not be doing that. And um, if somebody else wants to promote me, great, but I'm not going to do it myself. And that's I think that's a really problematic attitude to have today you met you might have gotten away with that in the past maybe and of course you'd have to be an amazing talent to get away with it but um but now even if you're talented today uh the expectation is that you are going to you know market yourself and you're going to get yourself out there now for authors that may seem initially like a hurdle a big hurdle but what I can say is that once you do it, you, you get used to it very quickly. Uh, you get used to all of these different things. You know, I was someone who was uh, never gave uh, a speech in my life till I was maybe 40 years old, you know, and then all of a sudden 
started doing it in, in promotion of my books. And, you know, now I love it and I'm totally comfortable with it. A lot of this stuff is just about getting yourself out there, trying things, learning things, learning some basic techniques of, of marketing and promotion. Um, there are tons of people that can help you. There are all kinds of gurus out there, you know, who will help you set up your your website the right way and give you some basic stuff about how to market. So, you know, it's it's definitely doable for anyone. You just have to not have that attitude like this is beneath me as a, as an artist to uh, to do sales salesmanship. You know, um, I'm not going to do it. You can't get away with that. Well, and I've heard Elizabeth Gilbert say too that, you know, when you're deciding what book to write and landing on this, you know, big idea to envision this, right? Hopefully, if things go the way that you want them to, you will be talking about it for the next, you know, however yeah. many years, at least a couple, maybe 10, like you, yeah. you know? If you're not now, I mean, I totally identify with not liking to like post on social media and all that kind of stuff. But in general, if you don't like talking about this idea that much, right, you might have no business writing. Yeah, that, maybe you shouldn't you know? be writing it. Right. Yeah, it, it, because yeah, because it 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 should be a pleasure to talk about your book. Really, I mean, you think about it; it's it's one of the great <laughs> it's one of the great pleasures in life is to have people ask you about something you've done and that you're really interested in. It, it's definitely something to think about as you're settling in on your idea. You know, I, I, it, there's, there's always a, um, a balance too between when you're trying to find the big idea, how much are you thinking about commercial possibilities and how much are you thinking about artistic possibilities or personal passion? I, I think you can, you can think about both simultaneously i do think probably the the passion part is more important because if you're just trying to do a book for commercial reasons it doesn't usually work out i mean it's it's pretty transparent and also you'll it, it means you'll be chasing after the same thing as a million other people i don't know if 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 it comes out that it's books about uh you know cats are hot are really hot right now and you're not really that interested in cats, but you decide, well, I'm going to, you know, try to tap into that market. Right. Um, you know, I think it will become apparent pretty quickly that you're not a super passionate cat person. And the person who's going to beat you out will be the person who is absolutely a maniac about cats because they will come at it from some way that an ordinary person would never think about, right? And and they'll be so dedicated to it. So I, I do think you have to have that passion for your subject. You have to feel like I'm really interested in this. And I, I kind of feel like I'm not typical. Uh, I'm interested in a way that very few other people are probably interested or can express. And then that gives you your edge. That that's what will that's what will come through in your in your book proposal or when you talk when you try to describe the book to somebody that passion has to be there or uh, or you know it will never really come to life and i feel like you can tell it in the writing too i mean it's a little bit esoteric but you know it's like when you're interacting with somebody like a host or a waitress or something and you can tell like this person just really doesn't want to be here you know like that kind of vibe does come through in the writing sometimes i mean ariel and i've talked before about book proposals that we've seen where people 
are not confident in the idea. And the main indicator is that the entire tone of the book is like, is this, or the proposal rather is, is this good? Please take a chance on me. You know, there's no like real like gumption behind it. And that, that kind of, that kind of um, feeling does come through in the writing if you don't have it innately. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is when you're putting your book idea out there, passion's really important, but also you want to convey a, a sense of authority, you know, and right. I, I think that's where being a journalist really helped me because one of the things you learn to do as a journalist is just sort of sort of say to the world you know i'm going to tell you something and you're going to trust me you know because i've done my reporting and i am at least right now today i am an authority on this particular subject so it's kind of journalism kind of trains you to put on the hat of expert over and over and over again you know, in all different areas, even though you may have just gotten into this subject three days ago, you get in it pretty heavy, you do a lot of research, and all of a sudden you're an expert. <laughs> you're like a mini yeah. expert. I think that kind of tone, you want to have that kind of tone when you are putting your book idea out into the world, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, whatever, you want to have the person reading your proposal or hearing your idea to think, wow, this person knows what they're talking about with this thing. And they, they really are confident. They're very confident that they've got a, a view on this that's distinctive and that no one else and, and that hasn't been heard before. Yeah. And that makes me think of you hear the advice often, write what you know, but it strikes me with your books and with good books that we see published a lot of the time, it's authors writing what they're curious about. And they're able to, like you said, kind of speak with the authority of someone yeah. who has expertise in the subject, even if it was actually a question that motivated them to start writing that book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people don't realize how quickly you can develop expertise in something. It's like, again, as a, as a journalist, you get trained in this, right? But you realize you only have a week to work on a story and sometimes it's really complicated. You know, it involves the healthcare system or something like that. And you may have never thought about the healthcare system before and you have a week to just like get really immersed in it, but you can do it. And and so that's what one of the things I try to convey to people is that, you know, the, the you want to develop expertise and you can develop expertise in multiple areas. Uh, you can do it in any area that interests you that you stumble upon, you can say, I'm really interested in this. I'm going to go a lot deeper now. And pretty soon you can declare yourself knowledgeable on that area. And then all of a sudden that opens up opportunity if you're a writer, because now you can say, you know, there's not that many people writing about that particular thing. And I know about it and I can write about it. So, um, yeah, so, so I don't, uh, the idea of write what you know, I think that you have to take it with a grain of salt because yes, you should, you should know what you're talking about when you write, but if, if it's used in the sense of you should only write about the, the town you grew up in or, you know, the world you've been in the last 20 years, because that's the only thing you know well enough to write about. I don't agree with that at all. I think that you should, you know, you should be able to go into different worlds different places, learn about it, and then know about it, and then you can write about it. 
And sometimes being an outsider to a topic or to, you know, any, any subject that you're writing about can be a really good thing because you're going to make connections that other people don't see. And you're going to see relationships between ideas that others don't see. And that's part of your unique value proposition as an author. Yeah, it's why it's why, you know, companies always bring in outsiders, right? They bring in they bring in consultants and pay them a lot of money and they're doing it because the consultant will come in and see the company with a fresh eye and, and will see things. And it's, the same is true in every endeavor or every field. It's one of the basic concepts of my questioning book is the idea that one of the things that really benefits questioners is beginner's mind, being able to see things in a fresh way. Because when you do that, the assumptions kind of go away and you kind of look at it in a way that you're, you'll ask those basic questions like, oh, I wonder why people are doing it the way they're doing it. I wonder if anyone has ever thought to try this. And that kind of naive questioning is, is uh, really, really powerful. And it's something outsiders bring. It's something you can also, you know, even if you're not an outsider, you can adopt for a day the mindset of an outsider. You can you can force mm -hmm. yourself to think like an outsider. I, I often tell that to people when I give my speeches. You know, try to look at your job as if you'd never done it before, as if you were a new person coming into your job. And what would that person think about the way you're doing everything? What would that person think about the process? Bringing a total outside perspective. So yeah, that that stuff is all really, really valuable. And that's that's what you can bring to any new subject you encounter, that freshness, that curiosity that the insiders don't seem to have anymore. Yeah, that's awesome. Warren, when you um when you published your book, would you have considered yourself having any kind of a platform? I mean, I know you had experience and you published before, so you probably had some sort of a following, but one of the things we talk with authors about a lot is platform. It's kind mm. of one of these sort of nebulous words, but you got to have it right. Like editors want uh, agents want it, editors want it. Um, yeah. But a lot of people either don't have one or have a small one. Um, right. So did you have one or what's your take on like platform these days? Um, I had a, um, a modest one. Um, mm -hmm. I, I started to develop a, uh, a, a a Twitter following back in the early days of Twitter. And so I, I was I was sort of, you know, making some efforts to gain some followers. And so I was able to use Twitter fairly effectively. And then when I um, I used my website uh, pretty effectively, um, uh, my wife is a, is a website designer. So um, she was, which was a real blessing. Yeah, that's handy. Uh, yeah, it's really great. But you know, you can also hire a website designer. So it's like, it's not, yes, you know, it's, 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 um, it's money out of your pocket if you have to hire one, but it's probably money well spent because one of the things she helped me do was figure out how we could use the website to build a newsletter. First of all, I would drive people to the website by writing for blogs. Okay, so I would, I would write an article, I would offer to write a free article for a blog. And then in the article, you know, the only condition was I have to be able to put my website at the end of the article with a link. And so I would write these free blog posts, put a link to my website. Then when people click on the link and come to the website, one of the first things they would see, I don't know if this is still on the site, 
but for a long time, one of the first things they would see is here's a free ebook on creativity if you agree to get the newsletter. So that would immediately incentivize people to sign up for the newsletter so they'd get the free ebook. And the ebook was something, by the way, that I wrote things that were kind of leftovers from books I'd written on creativity. I had a lot of stuff, a lot of material. So I just kind of put it together in an ebook. It was very short, didn't take me long to to put it together, but it was an original, unique product that you couldn't get anywhere else. And so, you know, this incentivized people to sign up for the newsletter. Uh And then that helped us to build a newsletter thing of, you know, 6,000, 7,000, something like that. So that became our, our platform. That was that, that, that was 7,000 people, or probably my platform was somewhere around 10,000. If you take the people, the combination of the people that knew me through Twitter or people that read the book, people that, and, and were passionate about it. Um, people that signed up for the newsletter, you know, I probably had like a core group of like 10,000 fans, if you, if you could call it that. And that was my platform. Uh, nothing really beyond that. So I would say the, the, the main thing I did there was, you know, have a, have a plan for getting people to the website and then have a plan for what happens when they get to the website. Is there anything you can do to establish a, um, a connection with these people once they come to your site, an ongoing, an ongoing connection? And that will, that will be your platform. Or, or you can just be a celebrity and, you know, you <laughs> automatically have eight million followers and you know, that's your platform and you didn't even have to do anything. So yeah. uh, that, that helps. <laughs> yeah, it does. So are there any specific questions that you recommend authors ask? And my follow-up to that too is if an author wanted to improve their questioning skills, which of your books do you think they should read first? So I have, I have three different books. One, the first one is the one that's sort of been the big seller, uh, A More Beautiful Question. But I would actually recommend, and the third one is the education book that I did with Ariel Curry, and that is Beautiful Questions in the Classroom. But that's a little more geared to educators or, or parents who are super into their kids' education. So the, the middle book is the one I would recommend. And the middle book is called The Book of Beautiful Questions. And we'll put the link in our show notes as well so everyone can get it. Yeah, so The Book of Beautiful Questions, the reason why I'd recommend that is because there's a, it's broken into sections that have to do with how you can use questioning in particular areas. And one of the areas is creativity. So there's a whole section on how to use questioning to sort of feed your own creativity. Now, within that section, there are a couple of questions, there are many questions, but I'll, I'll pull out two to, to answer your other question about what questions sh- should authors ask. And this has to do with the creative process. One of the questions I had in there was a, a question that I quoted the comedian, John Cleese, the Monty Python guy. He talks a lot about creativity. And one of the things he says is, where is my tortoise enclosure? And what he means by that is, um, where is that place where you can close yourself off from the world and withdraw into your shell? I really think that's important today for writers and creators of all types uh, to be very conscious and mindful about where and when you are going to do your creative work. Everything has gone crazy. <laughs> you know, the world has gone nuts. 
social media has just become a barrage of, of stuff coming at us. And it really is the enemy of creativity. I hate to say it, but it's true. It really is. There was a designer I interviewed at one point named Stefan Sagmeister. Stefan said something that really stuck with me. He said, you can't create if you're always reacting. So if, if you spend your life reacting to stimulus coming at you all the time, you will never have time or the uh, ability to develop your own voice, your own thoughts. And it's a big, big problem today. I really think that it's a threat to creativity at large. And I think we're going to see the threat. We're going to see the results of that years down the road, just as we'll see the results of how it affects people's social interaction skills. With that in mind, uh, I think you, you need to ask yourself, where is that place where I can uh, carve out time every day, disconnect and, uh, and just make sure I'm actually creating and, and not disturbed and not distracted and getting the work done. And it may be three hours a day. If you can do three hours a day, that's great. If it's two hours, you know, some people could do more. That's, that's good. But, you know, even if you can only do, I like to do at least three hours if I can, you know, but those three hours should be sacred and they should not be interrupted. So that's one question. The other question is from the, uh, the writer, Ann Patchett, the willingness to kill the butterfly. And so that was one of the questions I put into my creativity chapter is that writers should ask themselves, am I willing to kill the butterfly? So what she means, what Ann Patchett means by that is when you are developing an idea for a book or any big creative project, initially it's in your head, almost like a butterfly. And it is, uh, it is in a perfect, beautiful form. It's fluttering all around and you just, you just want to leave it. And there's a part of you that wants to leave it in that perfect untouched form because it's so beautiful in your head. And so you'll talk about it with other people. You'll try to describe it. But what she said is, you know, at some point you have to kill that. Like you have to take that butterfly and put a knife through it and start to take it apart and work on it. And she said, it's going to be really ugly because the thing that was so beautiful in your mind, in your imagination, when you start to break it apart, you realize, oh, wow, there's a lot of problems here. <laughs> wow, this is not as beautiful as I thought. She said, that's like, that's just part of being an artist. It's like that, that painful stage when you go from the vision that is perfect uh, in your mind to the reality on paper that is going to be ugly and is going to be, is going to be painful. And um, so that I think is a question that writers should always keep in mind. Am I leaving the butterfly untouched for too long? Is it time for me to really get down to the, to the nitty gritty of it? That's amazing. I've never heard that Ann Patchett quote before. Yeah, it's really great. I loved it when I, I read it. It's a cool way of thinking about the creative process. And, and I'm totally uh, guilty of that myself. You know, when I have in the initial stages of any idea that I have, it seems so perfect and it seems to be fully formed and it seems like, oh, all I have to do is write it down. I mean, it's it's great. It's it's there already. And then you discover, you know, it's not. It's not there. It's, it's what you have is only the beginnings of it. And uh, it's going to require lots and lots of changes and work and Interesting. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me a little bit about like killing your darlings. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a similar idea. And but it's more like when you have too many ideas, you know, and, and you do have to, you do have to uh, get rid of some of them, you know, you do you, you, 
even though you love them. Or Another I'll thing that... think about it in terms of like in the actual writing, like I'll have a sentence that I just love, right? Because like, whatever, I just, it's so beautiful. Oh, I'm so smart. Look at me. I use these big words. And then I'm reading it and I'm reading it. And I'm like, this sentence, this, this paragraph isn't working. And I'll realize it's because of the one sentence that I love the most. Yeah, exactly. Which is very painful. Yeah. And another one more thing that, that's like that is um, nonfiction book writers will relate to this, I'm sure. You, you, you spend a lot of time doing research. And in the research, you will, you will come up upon a million interesting things. And then the challenge is to not put all million of those interesting things into your book because you want to, you know, and it's natural. You, you, you learned this fun fact about something that nobody knows, but it has nothing to do with your book. And so, you know, the, the idea is that there, you have to sort of kill your darlings there yeah. too, because uh, I, I, somewhere I saw the metaphor of an overstuffed suitcase. Like writers, a lot of times are trying to get more and more into the suitcase, and then they're yes. trying to jam the suitcase. Yes. Well, but, that's what editors are for, right? I just jam everything in and then make it Ariel's problem. You have to tell me what goes, okay? Right. You guys do the painful work of uh, that, that that we can't do. We, you know, and and of course, then then we argue with you. The writers will argue with you. But that's that's so brilliant. That's how could you cut that? It's so interesting. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I tell my authors, you know, pretty regularly. They're like especially you know when we're early early rough draft version they're like i don't know is this worth it is it not and i'm like put it in make the editor decide that's <laughs> right yeah that's right make the editor. <laughs> yeah that's liz yeah yeah hey, no it's true quality control right i want yeah. to on the table help me decide what stays yeah what... that's a good way of thinking about it, it. as long true. as you're willing to as long as you're willing to wade through it uh right. because yeah. because that way because a lot of times the writer just doesn't know the writer no. doesn't know you're too close if this to thing it. is yeah. interesting mm -hmm. or not you know so yeah that's right well warren thank you so much for joining us this has been so helpful and encouraging i i love hearing your perspective and so what is the best way for readers to find you online and follow along with what you're doing now? Because I know you said you have a new edition of A More Beautiful Question coming out. Yeah, so A More Beautiful Question, which was my original questioning book. Yeah, it's, it's going to, it's coming up on 10 years in 2020, early 2024. And so the publisher is going to reissue it and um, I'm going to write a lot of new stuff for it. It's going to be really a new book in some ways. I'm going to update it and it deal with the pandemic and all kinds of things that have happened since I wrote the book. The main place to reach me is through the, the site, a more beautiful question.com. Those just put those words together. It's a, it's an interesting site. It's not your typical author's site. Like, so it's not just about the book or not even just about me. It's about questioning and it's a site that has lots of, articles and lots of stuff on questioning and so if if you're interested in this subject or even if you think you potentially might be interested that's a good place to start there's a, a quiz you can take about what kind of questioner are you and there's a list of songs that have questions for a title uh there's I all kinds that. of stuff anything to do with questioning is basically on that site so i would recommend you know go to that site and you can also reach me through the site there you can contact me through the site and um and that's, uh, I'd love to hear from people if they, if they have any questions. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? 
head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at hungryauthors or hungryauthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Thank you.